0: In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webb, and this episode is different than anything we've done before, okay? So I'm just gonna set some expectations right here at the beginning. This is different than anything we've done before. We're experimenting a little bit. Um, by God's grace, right response is expanding exponentially. Uh, God has been gracious towards us. We're going to be going to multiple shows per week instead of just a weekly show with Theology Applied. Um, so there's a lot of exciting things happening. And one of the things that we're attempting to do is we're attempting to do less virtual with just guests who are piping in, uh, but actually having guys here on the ground in-house, in person, in our studio. And so today's episode is actually the first thing that we're releasing with uh, a conversation with myself and two guests uh, who are gonna be in-house in the studio. I think it looks pristine. I think that it makes for a more natural conversation. You're actually talking to guys, flesh and blood, who are with you in the room. Uh, the quality of the video I think is, uh, phenomenal. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. And I also thought, you know what, uh, instead of just, you know, our first episode being guys that you would recognize and I'm flying in, what if I showcased a little bit of my personal local ministry? Uh, for those of you who are unaware, I am first and foremost a local pastor of Covenant Bible Church in Central Texas. You can check out the website for our church if you're looking for a church in the area, Central Texas, about 45 minutes north of Austin, Texas. You can go to covenantbible.org, covenantbible.org and check it out. So I wanted to do something with two of the men that I greatly respect who are part of my day-to-day life in local ministry in my local church setting. So I have Michael Belch and Brian Hensley joining me for a conversation about parenting, about marriage, about family, about education, about school, about classical education, um, all these kinds of things. Uh, These two men both have children older than mine. I have four kids. By the grace of God, their ages are six, four, three, and one. But the two men that I am doing local ministry with at Covenant Bible Church. They have uh, teenagers. They have older children. Uh, Brian has one child who's currently at New St. Andrews in Moscow, Idaho. Um, So he has one child that's made it all the way through their home. And so these men have wisdom. Um, They are at a different life stage. And we're talking about uh, what it looks like to be godly Christian fathers and what it looks like for a father to fulfill the scriptural commandment, I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter six, verse four, fathers do not exasperate your children, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're talking about in this episode, our first ever episode in-house, multiple guys in person in the studio. I hope you enjoy.
1: Applying God's word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. We're doing something a little bit different in this episode. I am privileged to welcome to the show two of the most faithful members in the church that I pastor in Central Texas. That's Covenant Bible Church. I've got Brian Hensley and I have Michael Belch. Thank you guys for joining us. So, this is what we're going to do the three of us are actually on the board for a school. And by God's grace, we're endeavoring by fall of 2024 to start St. George Classical Christian School in the Georgetown, Williamson County, Central Texas area. We're located about 45 minutes, maybe an hour north of Austin, Texas. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of classical education, uh, but we also are doing something a little bit unique. So I'll give you an outline of the episode today. We're going to talk about why classical education matters Uh, that it's not just hip, uh, but it actually matters. It's a conviction. We're also going to talk about uh, why a hybrid model is important. So we're not going to be doing five days a week uh, but we do believe that children should spend an abundance of time with their fathers and mothers as it comes to their education. Uh, and then we're also going to, beyond that, talk about just the body of Christ as a whole and why community matters. Uh, why we don't just need to be doing individual, independent guerrilla warfare, but we need organized platoons—people uh, who are working together in a community, Christ exalting, restoring Christendom—and the church is the tip of the spear towards that end. But Uh, schools, I think, would take second place. So that's what we're talking about today. So without further ado, Brian, why don't you kick us off? Brian is going to be our headmaster. And so why don't you kick us off by just explaining a little bit about classical education, why it matters?
1: Yeah, so classical education, of course, classical is somewhat of a relative term. Um, You know, it is kind of like uh, conservative in some sorts. The education that occurred pretty much for the throughout the Western world prior to the late 1800s wouldn't necessarily have called itself classical, but it is a more of a liberal arts uh, education, which is primarily composed of the trivium and the quadrivium, so the language and the quantitative skills of uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and then the quantitative math skills, which would be arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. And those are the seven liberal arts. They're the, the arts of the, the education of a free man. They're, they're designed to help you learn to think. Um, they're not so much uh, like a manual art, maybe like welding, or a fine art, like dancing, but they're arts of the mind. And then, so that's one component of it. And the other component of it is, would be the great books. So you've got the, the books that have influenced the Western civilization throughout the uh, throughout the ages and have st- stood the test of time. And those between those two, it teaches wisdom
0: and virtue. Yep, that's really helpful. So a lot of people, we were talking offline as we were getting ready, a lot of people when they think classical, when I say a lot of people, I might be one of these people until about 15 <laughs> minutes ago when you set me straight. Uh, but a lot of people do tend to think of the classical education as just a model or a method. Uh, they think of Dorothy Sayers, I think of Doug Wilson and kind of dusting off, you know, her essays. And, you know, so he did, you know, the recovering of the lost tools of learning. And you think of, well, classical education is just taking uh, pieces of education that everybody needs, but but syncing it up with the development of a child. So we're going to learn grammar when we're little because we can memorize. And then we're going to move to logic because now we're thinking about not just the what, but the why. And then we're going to go to rhetoric when we're older. And that's kind of your high school age uh, because now we're a little bit defiant and we want to argue. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, I think that's the extent of their knowledge of classical education. But you were talking a little bit offline and Michael, I'd love to hear from you as well. But Brian, you first, if you can, why is that uh, very truncated? And in a lot of ways, why does that miss the mark of what it means to be classical?
1: Yeah, so around the turn of the um, 19th century um, or 20th century, uh, we had a lot of progressives kind of step into education. You've got some big names like, uh, like Dewey. And this was also at the same time, when you had- Is this the had, Dewey
0: decimal system guy? Same one. <laughs> the very same,
1: okay. I've heard that there were multiple Deweys, so, you know. <laughs> okay, but, all right, all right. Uh, but um, regardless, there is, there was this, uh, at, at about the same time, uh, child psychology or or just psychology was really coming out, you had, a big influence by people like Freud. And what you what you saw was this kind of uh, marriage with education where instead of conforming the student to a transcendent, um, you know, wise and virtuous person, it was more, okay, how can we conform the education to the student mm. that would make it the most effective? Now, it isn't entirely uh, misplaced. You know, they didn't... Um, there are there is some some merit to uh, educating to um, you know in a particular method and dorothy sayers came across uh, came in the 1940s i believe she wrote an essay uh, saying the lost tools of learning and she didn't exactly um, It wasn't exactly a point to revive a classical movement, but she suggested, okay, maybe taking some of these lessons about the development of children and taking the classical trivium and transposing it upon them. And that's where you kind of got this, a little bit of a a, a marriage of uh, the trivium and stages, which is not historically the way that a person would consider the liberal arts or the classical education. So... You do have some people nowadays, some, there, there have been many people um, that are kind of giants in the, in the movement. And uh, Martin Cothran is one of those. And he wrote, um, he wrote a very good essay, which, says, which is entitled More Than a Method. And it, he takes a little bit of an issue with this, uh, just reducing classical education down to uh, the grammar, logic and rhetoric stages. It's much, much greater than that.
0: Mm. Michael, you've been a teacher for a long time. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your thoughts of why, why classical? And, and then I think, you know, you could even lead us into why hybrid? Sure. Well, Brian is absolutely right with the methodology.
2: And just to be clear, I do think that the classical methodology does align closely with how God has built us as humans. Right. It does align with the fact that children at a young age are sponges and they can just absorb like nothing else. Right. Right. Like you said, Joel, by the time we're teenagers, we're ready to argue. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense where I believe that the classical methodology does align very closely with the stages of development that God created within us. However, if I were to talk uh, why I think classical education is the superior method and philosophy, it's what Brian briefly alluded to. It's the stated goals of classical education, which are to produce adults, really, mm-hmm. who are equipped and capable of living wise and virtuous lives. And when I look at um, the world that we live in now, uh, I remember hearing a story of uh, some students at um, it was an Ivy League school, I wanna say Princeton, uh, who were in an ethics class. And um, they were constantly harassing this girl, uh, who was in their class. And she could she was poor. She was um, there basically through a scholarship that had been gifted to her. They were very wealthy, and they were getting A's in their ethics classes, and then coming out and utterly mistreating her. And she just was she could not resolve the tension there of these. Young men who apparently were the cream of the crop, according to the education system, and yet had no ability to discern proper behavior, proper living, but could write correct answers on the tests. Hmm. And so the stated goals for me of classical education to produce effective and capable adults who can live in a wise and virtuous manner. And that means distinguishing right? Knowing what is wise, knowing what is virtuous, but not just knowing like those boys, but also then with the self-discipline and the, 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 the kind of the, the way that life has been formulated, right? And, and in a school setting, um, we, we can control kind of the catechesis of students, right? And everything that we do, whether we realize it or not as parents, and this is something we need to think about, Everything that we do catechizes our children in one direction or another. And everything that a school does catechizes children too. If we start the morning with prayer, if we start a class with prayer, if there is recitation, singing, exuberance of joy and dance and um, thankfulness to God, all of these things, the, the way we set up a school day will be in some ways as instructive, as formational, to students as the actual curriculum and text that they're reading. Right. And that's why when you mention the hybrid model, what we mean there is we're pursuing a model where students, the younger students, will attend school two days a week, and then the teachers will send work home. It's not just three days off. Right. It's they're preparing work that the parents, the mom, the dad, the younger kids, maybe the mom. Um, are actually doing with them, teaching them. Those are instructional days. They're just not in the school. Right for the for the slightly older uh, grades, it'll be three days a week, and and so when I think about catechesis and preparation for virtue and wisdom, I think this hits the best of both worlds because you have the structure of a school where everyone is together, right, acknowledging. Uh, transcendent truth and and joy and catechisms and recitations and all of those things and there's an excitement and also a just a, a naturalness to the schedule when everyone around you is doing the same thing. Yes, but then also going home and still being under the catechesis of parents. Right, right. And so in my mind, uh, I have a couple other things to say about the hybrid model, but I'll, I'll say those later on. But in my mind, the stated goals of wisdom and virtue are are best met with classical education, and in
0: particular, the hybrid model of classical education. All right, I trust that you're enjoying this conversation, but real quick before we continue, there are three primary action points that you need to consider. Number one is this, and I'm gonna be frank with this first one, some of you, you're called to move to Georgetown, Texas. Not all of you, not even most of you, but some of you. Now, for the record, missionary is a perfectly biblical, legitimate category. Some people are called to be missionaries in deep, dark places, shining the light of Christ in a difficult context. But a lot of Christians are not called to be a missionary in that capital M missionary sense. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to be missionaries in organic daily life capacity but not all of us are called to be behind enemy lines some of you you need to consider a tactical temporary momentary retreat so that you can link arms with other christians and form what we're attempting to do in georgetown texas a juggernaut for the kingdom of god something that is pushing back against trash world and clown world causing the progressives and those who hate god to shriek we don't want to just survive We wanna win. Now, we have a three-prong approach, right? The beachhead, the tip of the spear, is the church. Covenant Bible Church, well on the way. In just a little over two years, we've gone from 20 people in my living room to well over 200 people. We're hoping that this church continues to grow by the grace of God and that it becomes a formidable opponent to the kingdom of darkness. Secondly, media, entertainment, right? Response Ministries continues to grow exponentially. Third, not only do we need a church, not only do we need media, but we need a school. That's St. George Classical School. That's what we're working on right now. And by God's grace, our goal is to start in the fall of 2024. We need students, right? Little, you know, unknown secret, keep it on the DL. But one of the main things that a school needs is students, We have people in our church who plan on their children going to the school, my children included, but we want to see more families. If God be so gracious, if he would be so kind, move here to be a part of this church, to be a part of this endeavor, and for their children to be a part of this school, St. George Classical. So one, some of you need to prayerfully, seriously consider moving here. Number two, Some of you are called simply to partner with us in prayer. And I don't mean just saying, hey, I'm praying for you, but seriously praying. I mean, write it down. Keep a list daily. We need people praying that this Georgetown project, what we're doing with the church and with Right Response and with the school, that it would be successful and especially praying for the school. This is the latest addition, the third prong in this three-prong approach to taking over a town for King Jesus. We need prayers for St. George Classical School. So please pray. Lastly, money. Yeah, I know it's not comfortable. I know it's not. Uh, But we do need donations. We want the school to be self-funded. We want it to be viable. We have a plan, a fiscal plan to be viable within our second or at at latest our third year. However, every single venture requires certain initial capital. And so we're praying that God would move on the hearts of some of you Christians who believe in the importance of raising up our children in the fear and nurture of the Lord to contribute to that end. If you want to do so, if you feel called to do so, number one, we're incredibly grateful and practically the way to carry that out is to go to our website, stgeorgeclassical.org. Saint is not spelled out, so don't do S-A-I-N-T, instead the abbreviation S-T, Saint georgeclassical.org, right there on the homepage, click the button, donate. You can't miss it. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful, incredibly grateful for your generosity. Okay, back to the show. we going to talk about the, the pros. Why, why don't we contrast well, it to other? Oops. Yeah, yeah. Contrast it to the five days a week and then yeah. also to To zero days a week, homeschooling. Yeah, Yeah. sure. sure. I think that that's helpful. So let's start with homeschooling. So I'll uh, go on record right now uh, saying that I would love to not have 80% of everyone who follows me online uh, unsubscribe and hate me. So that's actually not my my chief motivation. Uh, First and foremost, I would love to honor the word of God. And in honoring the Word of God, but also not uh, you know, aggravating and offending unnecessarily a bunch of people who follow me who are truly wonderful saints, um, I'll start by saying this. Uh, if you homeschool your child and they go to school in a formal setting zero days a week, you are not doing anything that is sinful. Um, we would all affirm that. Homeschool is wonderful. Now, it can be like anything. It can be done poorly, but it can also be done very well for the good of the children and for the glory of of God. And we know this from scripture. And we know this from, you know, for instance, Ephesians six, I think, you know, fathers, I think it's Ephesians six, four fathers do not exasperate your sons and you know it children is, is there but uh, but there's a particular emphasis emphasis on sons and and i don't think that that's a coincidence fathers do not exasperate your sons uh, but rather train them up in the nurture and uh and in the the fear and the nurture of the lord the paidea the curriculum it's something that's um, that you're swimming in, it's, it's like an ocean, it's your environment, it's, it's all encompassing, you're immersed in this paideia, this curriculum, this sea of the Lord, the things of the Lord, all truth being God's truth, and it doesn't just mean uh, Bible verses, but, but truth about the stars and truth about um, mathematics and, and all these different things that ultimately all truth is God's truth It belongs to the Lord. So fathers have this chief obligation to do this. But here's the thing, um, you know, I remember wrestling with that and thinking, well, you know, um, oh, I'll just say it, Love Vodibacum. I mean, really love Vodibacum. Like I, I was actually talking to uh one of the, the guys who, who works with Vodibacum's ministries uh last night and trying to get Vodibacum to speak at, at one of our future conferences. So uh so do not hear me saying anything negative about uh Vodibakum. Um, but he is very adamant about homeschool and homeschool only. And, and he would, you know, he would hang his hat on Ephesians 6, 4 and other verses. I'm not just saying that he only has one verse to back up his claims, um, but that would be a, a pinnacle verse. And it's, it's fathers, it's fathers, it's fathers. Um, but the reality is at the end of the day, there's so much. So a father, uh, the chief, two chief roles of a father's protection and provision. Um, and then you, when you think of mothers, there's there's nurturing and um, child rearing and these kinds of things, taking a house and making it a home, you know, and uh, both fathers and mothers, they work, but the mother primarily is working in the home. It's work and the father's working out of the home and those kinds of things. Uh, but if we're honest, there's so much that we outsource. There's so much that we outsource. So like, so if a father is, you know, he's like, well, I it's my obligation, my moral obligation under God. Well, but at the end of the day, how many fathers are spending eight hours Monday through Friday teaching their kids that they can't? They're working and rightfully so. That that is honoring to the Lord. They're out of the home for the most part, working a job in order to provide financially for the household. So who's really homeschooling? It's mom. So the father's already outsourcing to mom, and you might say, well, yeah, but it's outsourcing, but it's still keeping it in the family. I'm outsourcing to mom, not to you know somebody else who's outside of our household. Okay, but now let's talk about mom. Uh, what curriculum is she using? What books are she using? Did she write them? Did he write them? Or are they trusting the minds of someone else who wrote this curriculum that they're using on a daily basis with, I mean... Let's just be honest, you know? And even when it comes to cooking and those kinds of things and providing a meal, meal, and those is mom out in the forest picking berries, you know? Or like, is everything grown on your homestead, you know? Or are you like most homesteaders, you're supplementing your grocery bill by about 50 to $75 a month and the rest you're buying at HEB. Let's just, you know, let's just be honest. Like we don't live on farms, we just don't. And we don't live in the woods and we're not hunter-gatherers. We are outsourcing these things. So we're, we're outsourcing our food, You know, and we need to be careful and wise about that. There are foolish ways to do it. And we're outsourcing our clothing. Very few people are sewing all their clothes, or or very few of us are cobblers and making our own shoes. And and we look at the old days and, and yes, we live in trash world, clown world, the regime, all these things. The world hates us. And Jesus said it would. And and we look at that and sometimes I think we're tempted to say, oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days. But Ecclesiastes literally addresses that explicitly. It says, do not say that the days of old were better than these. Like... We want to be generalist, and that gets back to the classical education, but to an extent. I think we have to recognize that that we want a wide breadth of of virtue and knowledge uh, when it comes to our education, our formation, uh, but we don't want to be generalist necessarily in the sense that we make our own shoes, we sew our own pants, we grow our own food, that every single thing, and that's how people lived for a very, very long time. But division of labor is a blessing of Christendom. It is actually a post millennial um, implementation. It, it's the fruit of of the gospel of Jesus Christ taking root and 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 bursting forth. This idea that specialization, what I'm saying is specialized. There's such a thing as crony capitalism. There is such a thing as just you do one piece of the widget on the conveyor belt and it's meaningless and and I, it can go wrong. But to, to demonize specialization and the, the, you know, this division of labor entirely, I think, is naive and misplaced. We all do that, and it's not detrimental that's inherently, it's not sinful. Inherently, that is, I think, a blessing of Christ and the gospel going forth, the church uh, growing, Christendom being firmly established. It is a blessing that I can go to somebody who makes clothes well and that I don't have to make them myself. It's, It's a blessing that we can go to a store and purchase our food. And it likewise is a blessing that my children will learn first and foremost from me, but also from other brilliant minds who love Christ and that my children hopefully will stand on my shoulders and be better than me. Amen.
1: Yeah. We were, God built us to live in community and in community, we benefit from one another's uh, unique talents and specialties and education. Uh, We were never meant to, for us to kind of go back to the basics where we're fully homesteading and providing all of our stuff is making us slaves to survival. Right. We don't have any, we wouldn't have any time. We would do things terribly inefficiently uh, and God never intended uh, for that. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I completely, uh, completely agree. And that naturally bears itself out in education, particularly as you get to the higher and higher subjects as more and more complicated subjects where, uh, where it becomes obvious that, you know, we're surpassing, you know, maybe if the parent was exposed to this kind of education, it was two decades ago and they can't remember it. Right. So um, there's even just a natural uh, deferral to X,
0: you know, more and more experts as time goes on. Right. So it just bears itself a, out. A naturally. terrible thing happened when I finished the 10th grade, I was informed reliably that uh, I did not have to take any more math classes to graduate. And so I didn't, um, I did a one act play, theater as a whole class all year long, marching band, and also jazz band. And then I had to take English. That was it. That was my high school year was those four classes. And then I would break for lunch. And then I did DECA is what it was called at the time in Texas. I don't even know if it's still a thing. It makes me think of like 4-H and those kind of, but DECA. And it was basically, um, you could spend the second half of the day working. And it and it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I think for a lot of people that made sense because n- not everybody's gonna be an engineer, you know, not everybody's gonna be a rocket surgeon, right? That's that's the phrase. <laughs> a, rocket <laughs> a rocket surgeon. Wait what? a second. He's as dumb as a bag of rocks. <laughs> you know, but like not everybody's it's gonna that jazz do these education. That was on point. <laughs> yeah, jazz So not everybody's gonna do those things. Um, and I think that it actually, you know, could be really good, great for a lot of people, but for myself. And I'm not trying to boast here or anything like that because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I think for, even for me, as someone who's relatively average in and, and a lot of you know intellectual capacity and those kinds of things, there are a lot of guys who are more gifted and intelligent than me. But even for me, I think it was selling out. I think I probably should have been taking more classes, learning more things. For instance, never took trigonometry. So when my kids get to that point, um. I would really like them to learn from someone else. Now, I, again, that's not a cop-out because do I believe that a father has it in him as a human being made in the image of God, who loves his children, loves the Lord to work his nine to five and over time and all these kinds of things, be faithful in the local church, be a good husband, a good father, and stay up late and learn trigonometry so that he can teach his, you know, his 15, 16 year old. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's possible. Um, but not everybody can do that. To use Vodibacum again as an example, even he personally, he says, and we're gonna get into this in a moment, but with the sons, with his sons in particular, once I think it's uh, age 13, but by the time they get to age 13, they're no longer going to be uh, just learning at home with mom because a 13-year-old boy who has gone through puberty, who's now in many ways a young man, not an adult man, he still needs shaping and formation, but a young man, um, he is he doesn't need to spend 24 hours a day with mom. He just doesn't. So what Vodi does is his sons, they now fall underneath his purview. He is their primary educator. Now here's the thing. That's great. That's a great model, but not everybody's Vodi Bauckham. One, in regards to his brilliance and uh, intellectual capacity, he's a really genuinely intelligent man. But beyond that, in terms of the flexibility of his schedule, and that's not to say that he's sitting around all day, the guy's a busy guy, but... uh, not everybody can take their kid uh, into Tesla to work with him if that happens to be their vocation. Whereas Vodibakam, he can take that child on the plane, his older son, to fly with him to go speak at a conference or to do this or to do that. He can actually include his sons in his nine to five daily vocation in a way that a lot of other men with their vocations can't. They just can't. And, and so we would like to think that whatever... Whatever method and also curriculum that the larger picture of education, we, part of our heart in this with a hybrid model uh, with with it being classical um, and Christian, but not only Christian, the classical Christian, um, our thought in this is we want to have education that we we believe across the board would be universally beneficial for any student that any student would thrive in in that context, right, Brian?
1: Yeah, I think that um, you know you kind of said it. It's it goes to the and idea- parent would thrive yeah, too. I guess is my yes. Point. There so there are pros and cons to each each situation, and it isn't a one size fits all. Uh, there homeschooling is the best option for for some families. Uh, even five day a week is the best option for some families. Um, but we we believe that the collaborative model, the uh, hybrid model, is is a very, and they're, they're, even, oops, I'm knocking the mic. Uh, there's even one day, even local one day classical conversation. There's just everything under yeah, the sun, all over the spectrum. Uh, but, but I really do believe in the, the collaborative model because of the, it has a lot of the strengths of the homeschooling where the parents can influence the children, uh, where the whole family is really lifted up in the education because very few of us uh, had a classical education, had right. exposure to this this kind of education, and it's not too late. You know, it is not something that's too late. You can you can even start now. And uh, just one kind of side point that I should have said earlier: you know, you'll you'll see some uh, maybe some people Christian, well-meaning Christian educators, uh, you know, with this challenge of, okay, how do you make how do you make math Christian? Well, maybe you say they were. There were three hundred Israelites against four hundred Philistines, and you know right. how many more. And that's that's not quite uh, quite the correct uh, worldview. That math is the language by which God created the universe, and mm-hmm. so it, it's everywhere. Everything, all truth is uh, is God's truth. It it reveals to us about God. That's what it says in, in Romans. That's why uh, the Gentiles are without excuse, because the entire universe tells us about God, and even what's happened with uh, much of the uh, Christian world is that they've taken uh, maybe a little bit, they've unfortunately been a little bit too influenced by the sacred-secular divide, and they look at uh, maybe more heavily upon the um, special revelation, divine Mm -hmm. revelation, and miss the natural revelation, which is all around us, which tells you about God. You know, you, you learn about math, you learn about physics, and you learn something about God. Yes. And that is missed by far many to Christians, tragically. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Michael, thoughts?
2: Well, this might lead us into the discussion about boys, but... Yeah, let's go there. Um, one of the things, Joel, as you were talking, that I was thinking about is um, there is an appropriateness to being in a classroom with other kids, and just kind of seeing how you measure up, right, right. Kind of seeing, especially for boys, that's why it's going to take us into the boys. There is a good sense where a boy will look around at the other boys and say, Ooh, "That guy is a lot better at Latin or right. math or you know wrestling or whatever than right. I am." And then that boy has to make a choice: Am I okay being? A little lower on the totem pole, and that kind of sorting is actually not bad either. Right, right? you're going to be in a church with elders over you. You're going to be in a job with a boss over you. You right. have to know how to not have to be the top dog. Yeah, not at all everybody's going to be first
0: place in yep. everything.
2: But also, there's a sense where some boys are going to say, Mm-mm, "No way, I'm, I'm going to hit the top there." Right. Right. And there's a certain ambition that is brought out when students study together, and especially boys study together. And it's kind of the, the pecking order or the pack and uh, encouraging boys to be able to say, look, you feel like you're at the middle or at the bottom of the wrong. And maybe that's objectively true. Parents are coming alongside and hopefully not saying, oh yeah, it's just your lot to be a doormat the whole rest of your life. No, like if you want to excel, put in the work. Right. I can't tell you how many times in my career uh, as a teacher, I've seen students who are motivated by the fact that I look around my classroom and everyone else seems to get it and I'm not objectively dumber than they are, right? What do I need to do? And they put in the work and maybe it does require more work for them than the kid sitting next to them, right? right? But that's also fantastic to put in the necessary work to achieve a goal. Um, and, And some people will say, well, no, we're supposed to be trained in humility and, um, everyone is better than me. Consider other people's needs is more important than my own. And that that's true. Right. But that right. does not mean that God does not call us to excel. And I think of the right. verse, I quote this to my students at least once a week and sometimes more, whatever in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Amen. Right. And Amen. so there's a sense where being in a classroom in the hybrid model will facilitate that sense of godly competition. Godly competition. Yep. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Also, thinking. they're still coming the under uh, the oversight of parents. Parents are really monitoring that
0: closely and and hopefully speaking right. into that. No, that's really good. And and with that, that better versus you know, considering other people's needs is more important. Yes. So you said like, you know, well, everybody's just better than me. Like that, that I think is uh, often so misinterpreted, misunderstood. But uh, it's Philippians, I, I believe it's Philippians two three. Do nothing from selfish yes. ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others as more. And here's the word significant, yeah. which doesn't mean you know ontologically superior. It doesn't mean in the objective sense that you're better or faster or smarter, uh, but more significant. A mother would do this with their toddler. It's not because- Christ of, did this with us. That's we right. We are not ontologically are, superior. Exactly. <laughs> We're not superior to Christ. Um, and and a toddler is not superior to its, it's full-grown mother. It's not like, oh, well, I'm, you know, the toddler, I'm gonna take care of the toddler because the toddler's smarter than me and works harder than me. And no, the toddler contributes nothing nothing to the household, uh, but but the toddler is ours. And we love the toddler yeah. and and because of their status in life and our duties before God, we're counting the toddler not better than me, but more significant than me. And so, um, so all that being said, we can count others more significant than ourselves um, in terms of our preference of others when it comes to their needs, our compassion, our consideration, um, and none of that flies in the face or directly contradicts at all godly competition. You can do, like, those, I, I just, I've come to believe that those two things are not at odds, that a young man can truly consider others as more significant than himself, and then in his heart of hearts, with humility before God and man, say, I'm gonna beat you. Yes. And that's but great. I've got a anecdote, or well, Go for you it. know,
1: um, that maybe is a little less noble reflection of what you're saying. <laughs> but yeah, my wife, Stephanie, and actually it's... It's hard to even talk about this without, without talking about her because she's been looking at this this mission field uh, of education for so many years. And uh, you know, it was really her um uh, just steadfastness and just saying, this is so important, this mission
0: field in of education. Real quick, is so how many important. years has she been involved in classical education?
1: Uh since our oldest went to kindergarten. So oh, I don't know,
0: 16, 16 years. years, and she's of,
1: about may, maybe 15 years. As a years, mother, but she's also years. been on
0: staff with certain schools. Yes,
1: yeah. She spent uh, in various capacities, curriculum coordinator. Um, yeah, she's designed uh, curriculum or put together curriculum. She's taught Latin. She's taught other just um, grammar school grades. And we she's plan on, on the, hiring
0: her as our Latin teacher, yeah.
1: right? She's going At to do what she can years. to try and uh, just get the just get the beginning going. Right. But and, um, and then
0: real quick, I I do want to come back to you. But Michael, I you know, and this is my fault because I you know I didn't give you guys a chance to introduce yourself, and I insisted that it was not necessary in the beginning because I wanted people to listen and not you know let's get right to the meat. But real quick. You, you know, you said that when you teach, earlier just in passing, you said, now when I teach my students, so real quick, just so our audience knows, where do you teach right now? I teach for Logos Online School. And, and Logos
2: is? It's uh, an online school associated with uh, the Moscow crew. Right, uh, that's the you, school that yeah, yeah. Doug started, right? It is, yep, yep, yep. Now the online school is technically a separate legal entity yep. than the, the brick and mortar school that was formed, but yeah, I teach for Logos Online School. so. Yeah, and I think
0: it's worth mentioning, you know, just be, with both of you guys, with Stephanie your wife with you Brian and then with you Michael, just so that people know um it's not just because hey, classical education it's hip, it's up and coming, you know, people are doing it, it's the cool thing to do, you know, but um the reason why we're doing this is because I didn't just for the record I didn't want to do this. It's true. Because it's a lot of work. My thought was, I'm going to plant a church. You know, I'm going to be doing podcasts and preaching sermons and counseling people and shepherding. And, you know, there's there's already, there's not a lot, but there are a couple classical schools, you know, in, in our general area, and we could just do that. But the reason why I surrendered is because the Lord and his providence brought people to our church that had this profound passion and say, no, like we, we want to start something because not to disparage these other schools that they're doing some really great things, but we do actually have a unique vision that we think is missing and needed. And that's, you know, Brian and Stephanie, Michael, your well, wife, Rebecca, you guys yeah, came. Yeah, but it, it,
2: we have to put the credit where it's due. And Brian, you might not appreciate this, but I have not seen passion for Starting a classical, an intentional classical school—not even just a school, but trying to create a community that's unique and wholesome for students, like I've seen with the Hensleys. I mean, that's this true. is this is literally the project of almost a decade yep. for them, if I if I remember the history correctly. And right. so, while we've come along, and I'm involved in the world, that this there is so much passion in that household yeah, for, the, for this is, mission,
0: and it's supernatural in the sense that. Um, you guys don't know this but Brian uh when he first came to our church he had completely black beard and hair and then he was like I feel called to start a classical school and God was like we Boom. Here's the gray hair. That, at the end of the day, what qualifies you, you know, we talked about background. So I, I paused it to say, let's talk about background and, you know, those kind of things as credentials. Why, why are you qualified to do what you're doing? But the real reason that Brian is qualified to be the headmaster <laughs> is because between the three of us, I'm getting there a little bit with the beard, Michael, you've got a little yeah. bit of gray, but Brian, you have the most gray. Therefore it's kind of like a Dumbledore yeah, of course. kind of situation. Yeah. You are rightfully the headmaster. That's the I only think that's reason. how it works. Well, and, and just a minor, a minor,
1: <laughs> uh, a minor point. There is a distinction between head of school and headmaster. Headmaster typically will typically will teach a typical will be uh, very involved in the operations Uh, side. Okay. Uh, Whereas my involvement in operations will be limited, Uh, it would be more strategic outside of my normal uh, profession and vocation. So I really want to see it get off the ground. I really want to be involved or, you know, like we all do in the design and making sure that it's successful, but we're going to have people like, uh, like Stephanie and Lord willing, God will bring to us uh, a good capable uh, principal right. uh, that can be just kind of the, the boots on the ground. I mean, I will be there, right? Uh, but, um, but it won't be my nine to five, Uh, nine to five
0: vocation. You plan to be there on site because your vocation allows you to do remote. So for the most part, you'll be on site and offering guidance and those kinds of things. But that kind of brings back the, you know the Brian Stephanie team, you know that that I think is a great benefit that Brian would be so head of school, not headmaster, that's what you're saying. So Brian would be head of school and offering that male, like back to the whole boys thing and boys needing men and those offering, you know, that male guidance, leadership, influence. Um, but then Stephanie thriving where she thrives with curriculum and those kinds of things. And then eventually, kind of a, a three prong approach with the head of school with Brian. Stephanie would be the principal, director, director of classical um, director, education. Okay, okay, director of classical education. And then, in addition to that, hopefully by year two or three, we're looking at maybe a principal in addition. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, maybe,
1: maybe even year one. We'll, we'll see what the Lord, because we'll a lot of this yeah. depends on how many students we get and right. enrollment is going to drive some of these, uh, this internal structure. And so we just don't quite know yet. So you never know. I'm, I'm much yeah. more optimistic than Steph. You I'm, are I'm very thinking, optimistic. I'm thinking, you know, who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't? You know? And then we're going to have 7,000
0: students. And we're going to have students. so much
1: fun too. It's going to be really good academics and a yep. lot of fun. Amen. We're going to, a lot we should
0: of talk joy. about the fun. Let's talk about it. But real quick, just so you know, my involvement. So pastoring, you know, Brian and Michael and families in the church, and many of those families would probably be uh, the first, you know, their children, the first students that enroll in the school. Um, but then also we do plan for the men in our church, primarily the elders. And so me being, you know, one of those um, participating in addition with Brian for chapel and things like that. We want, we would like to have primarily a, a male-led chapel in the mornings uh, with, with catechisms and songs. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about the quadrivium and the trivium and and those kinds of things. Uh, And there's obviously just mountains more that could be said, but getting to some of the fun stuff, Brian has some really cool vision of like being a singing school, a dancing school, a horse riding school, maybe you want to talk about some of that?
1: Uh, sure. Well, we've we've been pretty inspired. We've seen other schools and how other schools. This is one benefit too, coming uh, along a little bit later, because really these these there were three schools that started about 1980 or 1981, if memory serves me correctly. And uh, logo, I have such a hard time calling. I, it I I'm agree. I'm going to go logo I school. agree. Um, they pronounce it incorrectly. Yeah. They do. Yeah. I don't know. Why. That's great. I'm like whatever. Kind of, it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> it Isn't this a classical uh, school? Yeah. yeah. So, um, anyway, it's it's now what since we're about forty years in, four decades in, right. and there there's so many lessons learned uh, that now it's kind of like uh, we, we've if you've ever designed a home or just toured model homes, you can tour all of these schools and see what works and what doesn't work, and you can kind of pick various elements well there's uh, Geneva School which is one of the oldest schools in um, in Monroe or West Monroe Louisiana and they put on a singing camp every every summer uh, Jubilate Deo um, I don't get any promotion for this now it's uh, it's a really uh, incredible program what they have there and they actually have uh, some people coming even down from Moscow to help Uh, but it's, it's just so, it's so impressive and they really emphasize the singing aspect. It's one of the main things that, you know, we're called to do We're we're called to sing to the Lord. So it's not just a, a school thing. It is a life thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a, it's a worship thing. And so it needs to be natural to, to all of us. And it, it really brings together and enriches the culture. It lifts up our, you know, our spirits it has us bonded to one another. So, you know, we really, really believe in that. There will be singing in the morning, singing at lunch, you know, singing just every, every excuse that we can, we can have. And you also, you learn a lot. And uh, we're not singing it.
0: Kumbaya. No, 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 no. So let's talk no. like real quick with the singing. We're talking about Psalms put to meter. We're talking about uh, old timeless hymns. And we're talking about ideally learning to sing in parts.
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, and, but there is, there is something to be said for the, uh, just the, the typical songs, the typical kid songs. You know, it is, it is not exclusively um, complicated or liturgical. You, you do learn in steps and in phases. So right. uh, there is reason to it. And there's nothing wrong with the joys of a simple child tune. So right. we're, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have it
0: all. Cool. That's awesome. Real quick. We should talk about the horses. And then, you know what? We probably should have kicked off with this, (laughs) but we should just talk about the name and the meaning of the name of the school because that's really valuable. But first, you know, because it kind of works towards the name. You know, I I picture a knight riding on a horse. So this is not a guarantee, but we're hoping that perhaps, and we actually have a little bit of a, uh, well, you have a bit of a connection.
1: Yeah. So. I happen
0: to know some people uh, that
1: have sixty acres and numerous Andalusian horses, and they are willing. They're uh, I may be related to them. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're uh, willing to to have us have school functions and some kind of program where we may have uh, riding clinics, and these are. Top shell. I, I mean, I don't know what you would necessarily call it, but these are these are the the fancier. They're Maseratis. Yeah, yeah. You these said are the, illusion horse? uh, Andalusian. Andalusian Andalusian horses and illusion and illusion
0: and illusion horses. Now they're not
1: right? all Andalusian, but yeah, but they're uh, Spanish horses. Yeah. Wow. Uh, actually, my youngest daughter Emily is um, competing in the nationals this weekend on an Andalusian show. Cool. So we're gonna. I asked if we could put a St. George blazer on her during the competition, <laughs> and they said no. You can't have any, you know, you can't have any um, advertising. But she can wear it while she's walking around. So <laughs> as <laughs> soon as she gets off that horse, we're going to put the St. George classical blazer on her. See if we can't get some uh, a little bit of a little bit of advertising. But that's in Fort Worth, um, so it's not as though we're. It'll be more for promotional
0: material than yeah. than actually, you know, finding right. People, students right? yeah yeah so okay so singing and we'll have chapel and i, I feel like you know you really don't need to be sold any more than just to know that that joel Webbon will be doing some chapels and you know just you yelling at your kids the word of god i won't be <laughs> you know but then the horses you know that's a cherry on top and but that does lead us to you know you've, you've already said you know that, that the name of the school would be saint george uh, can you talk you you and Michael both but you, a little bit are about we Protestants,
2: the Brian? Yeah,
0: it just
1: seems so Catholic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I well the I word think, Saint it, yeah, you know, I think it I to think, scare the Protestant. Like, a little this bit. may need to go on our frequently asked questions yeah, page. Yeah, might um, you know why Saint George? Are you Catholic? Uh, no, we're not Catholic. Uh, saint George. I mean, I, I can tell the history. Yeah, the, yeah, um, go for it. Well, maybe not to the date, but he was a uh, a Roman in the army, I think, I think under Diocletian, I believe, uh, who ultimately was martyred for his faith. Um, now, the legend of St. George and the Dragon is a little bit separate. There's some question as to how historical it is, but the the known history is that he was a, I think, fourth century uh, martyr. And I, I didn't know anything or very little about St. Um and certainly how ubiqui- ubiquitous it, he is in our society uh, until I just started learning. You know, we, we have this St. This George and the Dragon book. There's, you can, if you just Google it, you can just, so much comes up. Um, but there's a nice kid's book. There are multiple versions of it, which kind of tells the story. I do recommend it. Um, but, um, but he was martyred, and in doing so, at some point in the Middle Ages, I believe, numerous European countries adopted him as the patron saint. And anywhere where you pretty much see a red cross on a white flag or any variation of that, even the, the uh, flag of England, it's got two crosses on it, uh, transposed, one kind of in an X form and one the St. George cross. Uh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. So anywhere where you see either a white flag with a red cross or a red flag with a white cross, it's probably a reference to St. George. Now, the legend of St. George is that uh, it's somewhat similar to the Perseus and Andromeda story, but uh, St. George- Which everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Just watch <laughs> Class of the Titans. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, I okay, then I do. Um, I do know it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So uh, he was traveling along. Well, there was there was a city, a village that was tormented by a dragon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe at first, and there, there are other, you know, whenever you get into these myths and fables, there are all sorts of variations to it. But I think the most common one was they they were sacrificing uh, grain and livestock. And after some time, the dragon wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted human sacrifices. They started drawing lots and they would uh, sacrifice their their townspeople to this dragon that would uh, suffice for a while. Eventually, the, the princess, uh, her lot came up, and she was uh, going to be sacrificed. And about this time, St. George comes across this crying maiden and this townspeople that are in distraught of this situation. And to make a long story short, he, uh, he challenges the, uh, well, he goes and uh, pursues the dragon and uh, some variations have just multiple, multiple encounters with the dragon, but his eventual persistence and through the sovereignty of God, he does defeat the dragon. And uh, in doing so, he basically, he not only frees the townspeople of this, this beast, this, this terror, but all the townspeople actually convert after mm. this to, to Christianity. They were pagan before then. So it's a, uh, it's a very timely it's a very yep. timely character. And what we see with a lot, you know, again, this is not to disparage any other uh, school names, but, but many names are abstract and they're a little bit harder to get behind. But you know, right. you, you put a knight out there and with a the princess Red Cross. out there and people can really visualize it, kids can get yeah. behind it. You know, you, you see this, this imagery of
0: courage, which we just we so desperately need now right. in this age. Um, One of the things that sold me on the name is when I, you know, started, you know, you said, hey, I think this is the name that we would like to have. And, and so I, you know, I got a book, uh, or I think you actually might have given it to me. I can't remember. I I think you gave it to me. And so we started reading it to our girls. And, um, you know, my son is one. So he's, you know, you try he to do books it. with it. He loves absolutely <laughs> loves it. He can recite it from memory uh in Latin. No. <laughs> but uh, no, but our, our girls, they they love the book. Um our girls we have six, four, and three. Yep, that's right. Six, four, and three are their ages. And so reading the book, and one of the things that struck me, you know, you said in the sovereignty of God. And just to to just flesh that out a little bit more, um, the beauty of it is it's it's not just your, you know, your cookie cutter. Simple knight goes up and beats a dragon story. It's a uh, knight goes up against one of the fiercest and largest dragons in all the land, and he gets his butt kicked. That's like that's the beauty of the story is that this dragon is insurmountable uh, to all knights, and it's not because Saint George is puny. He is he is a, a, a well you know equipped knight, but um, but he's far outmatched by this dragon. Um, and the dragon deals to you know Saint George a mortal wound, and he falls. You know, and there's like you said many variations where there's multiple different battles. Like not just some have like two battles, and some have even more. But uh, I think on one occasion he falls. Uh, into this river and the river in the providence of God, the water in this particular river, in this particular place has healing properties that work towards his re- reviving. And then, you know, he falls underneath this tree and the tree, you know, has a certain fruit, uh, you know, or sap or something that, you know, is, again, is able to revive. And then not only that, but the damsel yeah, that he's seeking to save, she's integral also. So she's not fighting the dragon. This isn't Marvel where we make a woman, you know, you know able to bench 300 pounds and no, she is a woman and, and rightfully so in a God-fearing way, Uh, but she's not sitting on the sideline. She's involved. She's not picking up the sword and slaying the dragon herself, but she's coming alongside, and it's the persistent, um, her nursing the knight uh, back to health. she would find him in her prayers, praying and interceding and caring for him and nurturing. And and every time the knight is miraculously, providentially, and nurturing uh, by the damsel and her accompaniment brought back to health, Uh, instead of taking his life um, and saying... I should have. I should be dead, and and you know, praise God, I'm alive, and, and I'm gonna go live the life that I now have. Um, instead of that, he he gets back and he goes and faces the dragon again, and eventually he kills the dragon. But even before he he lays the death blow, the, the dragon, I, I imagine, you know, this isn't necessarily spelled out, but the dragon has this um, this sense, this awareness that um, even though the man is puny by comparison, he has finally met the immortal man. This is the man that that will never truly die. Um, And that he will always keep coming. He will never stop coming. And that's what we're doing in Raising Children is we're saying, look, you're going up against Leviathan. You're going up against the global homo jihad. You're going up against um, a monster that is uh, not just decades, but centuries in the making. You look at history. You look yeah. at the rebellion against God. You look at uh, the, the the global economic forum. You know. The, uh, you look at George Soros. You look at th- this and that and all. I mean, this is a dragon, and you you're you're outmatched. You, you are not. You are not the contemporary or the equal of this dragon. But the one thing that you have is the providence of God. His sovereignty is on your side, and. Um, you will just get back up and keep coming. You'll never stop coming. And eventually, that dragon, as big as he may be, George Soros or whoever, is going to say, We can't beat those Christians because yeah. they never stop.
2: Joel, this reminds me of and I'm not going to get the quote directly, but um, this idea of finding courage in the great myths and the great stories and training our children for battle, not just. Um, theoretically, but even inspiring them. One of the reasons why the great books are so important to classical education, uh, this is not a new idea that that the non-Christian and the pagan world is trying to eradicate noble stories from Mm -hmm. our uh, common reading. This was something that C.S. Lewis faced as well. And you know, he wrote even a book on education and just the ridiculousness of what was going on in his time. But one of the things that he said was he, something to the effect of, we keep trying to remove the fairy tales from the school reading. And so boys never read about the knight who killed the dragon. He said that specifically. He said, what is gonna happen when they go out into real life and actually find real dragons? And actually encounter the real dragons? And that's to me, it goes back to what I said earlier with uh, training for virtue. right the, we, we, are, we are realists. We are we believe in God's sovereignty and, and we believe in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. The church is Christ's body, but we're also realists. There are formidable forces out there. Yes. Well, our, our response is not just to turtle up, right It's to equip ourselves and our children for the task and the dragons that God will put. Ahead of them, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, this kind of comes into okay. What does a what does a full education look like for a girl versus a boy? Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I, I never followed up on it, but I had wondered about what debate oh, what debate that. what debate class would look like for the older students. So that's still out. Still, at, that's an outstanding question. But uh, but there's a principle here. And if we, if we just take physical fighting, like we would, I would like my daughters to be able to defend themselves from an attacker, defend in order to be able to get away. Right. You know, like defend yourself enough so that you can get away from somebody who's, you know, trying to grab you or whatever the case. On the other hand, I would like my son, whenever he sees a woman who's trying to get away, to rush to help her. Right. So it's different, you know, and it's not that you're raising up, um, little antagonists, right? Like we don't, we don't want to raise up and train troublemakers, right? But we want to raise up capable people so that when the problems do come, and it's not even just necessarily physical, there are mental, spiritual, like we even, there's a war raging inside your, your, um. body with your, your immune system. Like we're, there's just, there's strife everywhere. And even whenever we're not uh, waging war against other living things, we're waging war against nature, right? We build houses to withstand for when a tornado may come, you know? So there are all of these situations all over where we prepare for an attacker or an onslaught, which has not yet come. And so it's very, very important. And we, we pray for Peaceful lives. Uh, but we know that we are going to face adversity in some form or fashion, and we ought to be uh, trained and strengthened in order to be able to face that. Amen.
0: All right. Well, I feel like that's, uh, we've covered a lot. Michael, real quick, do you have any final thoughts that you want to add to it? You don't have to. But... No, only that. Um...
2: This is very much a work in progress, right? Yeah. We have vision and passion and excitement. Um, but you know if you're if you're watching this podcast, um, you're interested in the topic already. And you know presumably a lot of your listeners, Joel, are believers. and right. uh, we still have some major hurdles to overcome. We're still we think we have the building secured. but right. all that to say is if you're listening, we would love your prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something, actually, Joel. This is something I did want to say. This is an attempt to live out the Christian belief that despair is not the only option. Yeah. Right. The optimism of the post millennial hope, mm-hmm. the confidence in Christ, and so we, we're we're asking for people to get involved. That's one of the reasons for this video. Right. But even if you cannot get involved, we hope to also inspire. We've been inspired by other schools. Yes. Right? We've been inspired by other people in different parts of America who have said, we want to do this. Right, We right. want to make, not just make a difference, that's a bit cheesy, but we want to do something substantial for, mm-hmm. for building the kingdom. Yep. So we're just starting that. Right. right, and But but we hope that our enthusiasm and our passion will inspire you as well. So yep. we, we need your support. We need your prayer. We also hope to encourage and, and motivate your viewers, Joel. That's good, this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we want your support. We'd like for you to get involved. We'd like for you to, some of you, if you're called to do so, uh, to even support us in terms of generosity. Yep. Um, but we also, I think that's a really good thing to add is we also want to inspire um, because we need lots and lots and lots of schools uh, training and educating uh, lots and lots and lots of children in a full-orbed Christian worldview. And so all that being said, is in terms of uh, some action points, uh, the, the two big things, well, three, uh, the three big things that I was hoping, you know, that people could take away is one, uh, we are asking that you would consider praying for us. Two, uh, we are also uh, encouraging—not necessarily asking, but encouraging—those of you who feel called to do so uh, that you would consider moving here. Uh, if you are one of those kind of atomized, isolated, you know, rogue Christians, and not necessarily because you wanted to be, but You know, over the past few years, the veil has been lifted, and you found that you know your church, sadly, uh, was not as faithful as you once thought it was, and and you just kind of are alone, and and you you're looking for like-minded people, and watching this, you know, this particular episode, you're like, it's a breath of fresh air. You're like, those are my people. That's what I want to be a part of. Um, We're praying that that. You know that people would be saved in our area and join our community. We're praying that other people who are already Christians would, would, would join our community, our church and our school. But then also that God would, for some, it won't apply to everyone, but that some would consider relocating. And, uh, and joining Covenant Bible Church and joining St. George uh, Classical School, Classical Christian School. And so uh, that may be some of you. So consider that maybe moving uh, to this area. Again, we're about 45 minutes north of Austin, Texas, and the Georgetown, uh, Williamson County uh, area of Texas. And so some of you may be called to do that. But then lastly, some of you may be called to give, um, to give financially. And so uh, ultimately, we want the school to become uh, self-funded. We want it to be viable and sustain, sustainable uh, that through the tuition of the families involved, those students, uh, that we would be able to meet all of our budget to do things with excellence uh, and that we wouldn't be um, indefinitely and utterly dependent on the generosity of people outside of the school. But uh, in the beginning, in this first phase, especially for the first couple of years, um, donations really matter. Uh, they matter and it, it helps us to be able to get the school off the ground, like securing a location, a facility and those kinds of things. So in terms of giving, Brian, I'll leave that to you to give the final word, where, where can they go to give? And is there anything else you wanna to add to well, that? We're we're a registered nonprofit too, which is
1: worth yeah, mentioning. Yeah, we're, we're a registered nonprofit. We have the 501c3 in progress. Yeah. So for most people that, um, most people don't exceed the standard deduction. Uh, for people who would exceed the standard deduction and do need that tax deduction, then we could either uh, potentially get your information and then come back after, Lord willing, the five hundred and one C three gets approved, or perhaps at least at least reach out, make contact, because maybe we could um, you know go through another organization. Um,
0: in mo- yeah, that's possible. Uh, in most cases, though, um, I'm I'm almost certain that uh, as long as you get the five o one c three in that calendar year, right. um, that it could retroactively apply. So, all that being said, I, you wouldn't necessarily have to wait for a very long time. But it, even if somebody gave, um, you know, as long as it was January first of 2024, yep. I think that we would, right. you know, the five o one c three will be completed next right. year, and so um, so you wouldn't even have to hold off for you know six months or a year, um, but but just you know, waiting until the first of the year to be yeah. able to give. Yeah. So where would they go to give? I think
1: for the, the best thing to do would be just to go to our website, which is www.stgeorgeclassical.org. Well, and that is www.stgeorgeclassical.org. There is a stgeorgeclassical.com. This would not be the same they're site. They're doing fine. Yeah, they don't they're need doing our, fine. They don't <laughs> need <laughs> your <laughs> help. Yeah, <laughs> help, help us.
0: Yeah, so we've got not the- dot, com, dot org. .org. Org. Yeah, we've got the burgundy and don't spell colors. And not saint out, but just the S-T.
1: st Yeah, we've got the burgundy colors. Great. Uh, so we'll, what we'll have is we'll have a, because our donation um, form may change in the coming weeks, potentially even before this uh, video is released, that's the best place to reference. We're going to have a donate link and then you'll be able to donate there.
0: Great. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And Michael and Brian, thanks for joining me for this episode. It's, you know, it's, I like what I do. It's a blessing, but you know what? It's kind of nice to not uh, sit in a room by yourself. (laughs) Thanks. Yep. You're welcome. All right. God bless.